podcast. He's Chris Marler. I am Ryan Gura. Marler, I know the title says Casual Friday, but hate to be that guy. We have some legitimate news stuff that we need to get to and discuss today. The plan is to to talk about a couple of, of key things that have happened this week in the SEC. One that just happened within within the hour of us yeah. recording this, the NCAA announcing uh, their COVID testing and return to sport guidelines. So wanted to get into that. Wanted to get into some of this JT Daniels transfer stuff, which not as much on the impact that he's going to make at Georgia, which I think we've already kind of hit on a good amount, but more so this bigger issue with transfers, why certain players have heard about their status for 2020 while others are still waiting. I have some thoughts on that and that I've kind of shared bit by bit. So I wanted to be able to talk about that. And then also we're going to be joined by Matt Hayes, who has done work for us in the past done work for Bleacher Report and has been doing some some reporting on this this entire storyline of coronavirus and its impact on college football. And I know he's got some very strong opinions on that. Right. So that's the that's the hard news stuff out of the way. How are you doing? Good. How are you? This is not going to be right. casual Friday. It's it's not as casual, but yeah, it is it is Friday with college football news, nonetheless. True. Let's let's start with the stuff that we just got word of not long ago with this required testing that the NCAA is coming out with, saying that athletes have to be tested seventy two hours before a contest. So for Saturday football games in the fall, that means getting tested on Wednesday. The protocol is going to be somebody who tests positive has 10 days of of quarantine um, and then a high-risk contact person with somebody who tests positive is also going to be required to quarantine for 14 days regardless of if they have a positive test. Now, people might look at that and go, wait a minute, why does that make any sort of sense if you never have a positive test? And they're trying to say that someone who is high-risk is someone who spent 15 minutes or more around a person who tested positive without wearing a mask. So you might say, what's up with that? Right. It's so pretty hard to understand. Like, like, it's hard to understand exactly. I know. I think it's human nature to immediately get into how are they going to, how is this going to be carried out? How do I disagree with this? How do I debate it or whatever? Um, especially because it's a subject that is very debatable and has been debated for, for a Pretty much the entire offseason. Um, positive notes from this. One, they are finally doing something about trying to get out ahead had of it. had four months. They've had four yeah. months, and now they're coming out with this policy. Right. So, um, you know, and again, like, we're, we'll try to be positive and move forward. Because they, they have had four months. They have not. They kind of dragged their feet. Because I think we all just kind of thought, like, well, it'll go away. It has not. So, at least they're doing something now um, to try and, I guess, be out ahead, not out ahead of it, but like put something in place so we can all be on the same page with stuff. Um, that being said, it's going to be hard to implement this. Very hard to implement this. Don't know how that's necessarily going to happen. The The good news, uh, if you're looking for some at all from this, is that, okay, and, and okay, good news is the wrong way to phrase it. Right. The takeaway from this, that's what I meant to say, 14 days to quarantine someone who hasn't tested positive. That I in college football, that is a, a long time in yeah. fall. And I Two don't games. know I don't know if that's going to be something that's that's truly upheld or, or what, but the the logic behind it is okay, if you have somebody who comes into contact with somebody who had a positive test, they've been around them for more than fifteen minutes without wearing a mask. Yeah. The, their focus is look, we want to kind of get out ahead of it because it seems like that's an inevitable positive and we don't want mm-hmm. this thing to spread and we don't want this to be something that's where you have an entire team forfeiting. So by getting out ahead of it with the 14 days thing, you're already kind of banking in the fact that they're going to have those 10 days. Sometimes right. symptoms or positives won't show up until maybe four or five days after the virus is contracted because it takes time to settle. I'm not a science guy. I'm not a yeah. virus guy. But that's that's the logic behind that. And it sort of gives the NCAA an out. And that's what I think this is partially about. Right. And it puts responsibility on the players to do this because you brought up a very good point, a critical point, yeah, I though think we'll, from the NCAA standpoint at least. So I think that one other positive from this could be 
This may incentivize players if you have to sit out, which is basically going to be two games. It could be a quarter of your season. So I think it may incentivize players to make sure they are taking this seriously, not have it be like when they just came back from, you know, like back for uh, involuntary workouts or whatever, or voluntary workouts. Um, and, you know, right around 4th of July when all those numbers started spiking, I think this may be something that is able to incentivize like kids to do the right thing, stay quarantined, make sure we are taking all precautions necessary, or you're going to lose a large part of your season. I think it's pretty much, hey, look, if you're inside the team facilities, wear a mask. That's, that's yeah. what the NCAA is trying to push with this because that's the key caveat for those those 15 minutes is ex, you know exposed to a player who later tests positive and that sort of rids you of any sort of guilt or you know falling into this category of having right. high risk contact with someone. So I think that's at the root of this. I still wonder how all of this is going to look and yeah. what what coaches are really going to be able to, to uh-huh. do or how they're going to handle this because if training staffs are the ones who have to kind of be, uh, you know, sort of like the bearer of bad news with this, uh, we've seen in the past, we've seen friction with coaching staffs yeah. and, and, and training staffs as well with whether or not players are, are able to play and stuff. So that dynamic, I can't imagine this is going to help it, but hey. it's at least something from the NCAA and acknowledging, look, we should probably have some sort of protocol so that all these Power 5 conferences don't think that they just have to kind of do their own thing. Right. I, I think like, the cynical side of me, now that I've I said the positive things, the cynical side of me thinks this. You're going to have, at, it, like, I don't want to say it'll be just like a news dump type thing, but I think you're going to have a, like a majority of these announcements of people that have to sit out on Fridays or Sundays, right before game day. Or right after game day, I think it's going to be on game day when we have when we that find could also out. Be. I, I think if, if we but have if it's a two fall weeks, season, then would they have to sit out? Like like how many games do they have to sit out? Would it be? It just depends on when the quarantine would start. I would imagine right. it's the fourteen day calendar, and they would so try saying, and start you, as soon as possible. If you announce it on a Saturday, do you have to sit? You have to sit out that day, or does it like does the quarantine start effective like immediately? I think it's something. Immediately upon learning of the of the test that you okay. would have to that you would have to sit. So if you if you find out of this information on a Thursday or a Friday, like by by find out, I don't mean the general public. That's that's irrelevant. Well, but so but hold on, they would like because it's one thing about the NCAA is that they don't they don't release like college football teams don't have to release their injury report. They don't have to release like their their you know lineups in advance until game day. Right. Um, we see it all the time. So will they have to do that though? Because I think that that would probably be something the NCAA would have to have to consider because if like I, I feel like that would have to be included I, I really do I think there are certain HIPAA things that come with that yeah it's also, um, that's a really good point god this is complicated but yeah it's it's messy but it also benefits the coaches more so to, to start the 14 day mm-hmm. clock as soon as possible and instead of you know delaying it necessarily because unless you have a big game on Saturday and you don't have a big game the next two weeks which is something that is another that's another hurdle that yeah. I think that's it's inevitable given how much is at stake for all these jobs I'd be surprised if that didn't impact this this well, weird weird season if we had it and one more thing about it too and again like this may not happen but the cynical side of me thinks that we always talk about how like are players playing hurt like are they doing it like you've seen countless times throughout college football and it's not a great look but when you have a player that's injured, and they say, like, you know, I think he's good to go, and then he injures himself even more or something like that, would that same thing be uh, a possibility with COVID? Like, are, are they going to just kind of tell the, the athletic trainers or the, um, what do you call it, the staff or strength and conditioning because whoever's in charge of it, hey, like, keep this on the down low until this date. Like, I, I fully believe at least one team will have something happen where a player will play, he will have a, a, a big contribution or impact on the game. And it'll be known from the coaching right. staff. Yeah. And, and I do how do they how do they police that? How do you retroactively figure out how to uh, punish that? Exactly, exactly. And that was one of the frustrations that I had with the NCAA not coming out with this policy because they had what it was like a fifty-eight page document detailing eligibility issues for COVID-related incidents where you had you know spring athletes and what that eligibility was going to look like, what it was going to result from in terms of the scholarship account count for specific teams. They had all that stuff laid out, but they didn't have the exact point that you just made of what's that punishment going to look like? And I'm not even sure that we have that quite in writing just right. yet. That might be something that they're still trying to figure out because I, I got to think that that... 
if you're going to prioritize all these different things, you have to have some sort of punishment in place because yeah. what's what's going to de-incentivize programs from just saying, oh, you know what, why 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 do we right. need to do that? And if you know, I I don't want to be the, the guy who is assuming that everyone has the worst most motives in the back of their minds, but yeah, if you're a head coach trying to win football games, of course that's going to be on your mind. Yeah. So that's uh, that's all out there. Um, I'm sure that's something that we'll be talking about more so in depth as well. I had a quick rant here that I wanted yeah. to to provide before we before we go on with uh, with Matt Hayes, and it's related to this JT Daniels stuff. And for what it's worth, I, I want to preface this by saying JT Daniels deserves to have eligibility in, in 2020. Yeah. Every kid as an undergraduate who transfers deserves to have eligibility. I don't think the NCAA should be sitting there picking and choosing which kids should be eligible as undergrads and which kids shouldn't. So I I want that to be known. But this was sparked by JT Daniels and Jalen Gill, the Ohio State running back who transferred to Boston College. Both of those two kids entered the transfer portal in April and found Mm -hmm. out, this is middle of July, that they are eligible to play in the 2020 season if we have it. Meanwhile, of course, and this was something that I pointed out the other day, Cade Mays doesn't know. Joey Gatewood doesn't know. Justin Shorter at Florida doesn't know. So you, you look at cases like that where Cade Mays was someone who had entered the transfer portal back in back in January. Uh, Joey Gatewood announced he was, announced he was transferring back in – he announced he was transferring to Kentucky back in November. December, December, I believe. First week of December, and he entered the portal on October 30th. Yeah, Justin Shorter um, transferred to Florida in January. So you look at those situations, and I get that it's a case-by-case basis. Totally get that. But Cade Mays doesn't know yet. So it was reported in the last couple days that Tennessee apparently didn't file the appeal until last week and that there could potentially be hold up with his dad's pending lawsuit against Georgia for the, the, the amputated finger, like all that, that whole deal. I don't know. I don't care. Whatever. Right. That's, that seems a little bit ridiculous that he still doesn't know at this point, regardless well, of But if they that. just filed it last week though, like they, uh, they just yes. filed that whole thing last week and you have to have a waiver that is both, I believe it is with the conference and the NCAA and they, they have been lax about actually getting one of those completed. Okay. So there's also the Joey Gatewood thing too, which yeah. another intra-conference transfer, and there's apparently been discussions about when Kentucky filed that waiver. Maybe that was also very, very recent, and there's the the holdup about about it being within the conference, and there's that waiver as well, and it, the process just takes a little bit longer. I, I question the logic behind that because we had yeah. Stoops on this podcast three months ago, and yep. he was telling us about how they were hoping to get some good news about Joey Gatewood. And, ma- and maybe that good news was simp- as simple as the NCAA doing the one-time transfer exemption where they were going to allow undergraduates to transfer. As we know, that was put on the back burner because of pan- this pandemic where right. they feared the scenario in which a specific Power Five conference could decide, you know what, we can't, because of things outside of our control, we can't have a season, and then watching all of those players transfer to another school. From that standpoint, I get that. I've said that before on this podcast. Yeah, that's fair. Here's, here's the problem, though. Let's say that the NCAA is just looking at this from the standpoint of, well, does this player have a red shirt or not? Which it kind of seems like that's what they've that been doing. Be, yeah. And it kind of seems like, all right, well, JT Daniels, he got hurt. And that's what everybody's pointed out. That's why he found out so quickly. And that's why he was eligible. Jalen Gill was somebody who had a red shirt available. And that's why he was able to hear back from the NCAA. These other guys that we're talking about, Cade Mays, Joey Gatewood, mm-hmm. these guys have, have played already. And that red shirt isn't necessarily available. Justin Shorter, same thing at Penn State. So, you know, you're looking at this from that standpoint. And it's pretty much like the NCAA sitting there like, oh, well, if they have a red shirt, let's just, you know, let's let them play. Right. Let's decide that right away. And then if they don't, we're going to hold on to this and we're going to drag this out as long as humanly possible. Okay. Why, why don't they just come out and say that? Why, why don't they just come out and say, look, if you don't have a red shirt available. Well, we don't know if that's what they're doing, though. But if, right, right, right. This this suggests this randomness, and I realize that trying to make sense of the NCAA's mm-hmm. decisions is probably a dumb idea on my part, and this is just quarantine brain speaking. Right. But, but if that's what they're trying to do, that's ridiculous. And well, yeah, go ahead. 
Instead, they, they drag their feet and make kids like Justin Shorter, Brenton Cox, Aubrey Solomon. All of these kids are just having to wait and wait and wait. Justin Fields didn't have to wait. I realized no. there was the allegation Tathan about... Martell. Uh, Tathan Martell. There's another one. People forget about Tathan. There's another situation where it's like, okay, that wasn't within the conference. I get that, but right. Justin Fields didn't have a redshirt available. But see, it was, I, I it was, don't know. The redshirt thing is throwing me off because I don't know. We we don't know if that's really what is is okay. the reasoning behind it. Fair enough. I, but I will say this: this is this is the issue with the NCAA. I think as as a whole, because because obviously you're gonna have fans frustrated and want to argue that these players, like Cade Mays, should be. I mean, I agree with you. He should be Im- immediately eligible. Um, same with Gatewood and all that kind of stuff. The issue with the NCAA, and we don't know what the, the reasoning behind any of it is, and it's hard to make sense out of any of that, just like you said. The issue with the NCAA is this. When, when you have a, a group like the NCAA that this is obviously different than maybe like a, you know, a cheating scandal or an academic scandal like we had with like North Carolina or with what Mizzou got a bowl ban for. Mississippi State had something very similar, didn't report it immediately. They did not get a bowl ban. It, like the, the target seems to move a lot for the NCAA. Um, that being said, I, I had this conversation with my mom the other day about how one of the reasons why the NCAA is so untrustworthy, okay, it's, is because you look at like the start of the start of COVID and, and the coronavirus. And I'm going to say something about that was with a politician. I'm not saying anything about the politics of it. It's just an example. So hear me out. When we had very early on, when the president said that he thinks that the numbers are going down in a couple of weeks, we should be down to zero. 15 That to was zero. something, yeah, that is something that he was very wrong about. Whoever gave him that information was just completely off base and it should have never been said. It's something I think that you, you could say maybe he was just trying to keep up morale or, or whatever. That regardless, it's hard to then go back and trust necessarily what he says about coronavirus because of the initial precedent that he set by using that example. In the same way, people have a hard time kind of uh, listening to Fauci or believing Fauci because everything was so doom and gloom. And now we're kind of getting some of these numbers that aren't necessarily suggesting that. When you start out with a precedent that is easily, easily proving or provable to be wrong, that you that you are either exaggerating, you're, you're wrong, or it's, it's something that, that will in, ter- in, the, in the end will prove to be false, it's hard to believe you for the rest, like moving forward. And that's exactly the issue with the NCAA because every time they've had a chance to get out ahead of something, do the right thing, they've done the wrong thing. And that's why now we do have the question like, where, why is Cade Mays not eligible? Why is Joey Gatewood not eligible? Everyone else as well, but these other people seem to get in preferential treatment. And it does seem to be quarterbacks consistently. Yeah. Yeah, why is Luke Ford not allowed to play? That is, and that's the biggest. That's yeah. that's why I originally came up with the idea of this because you know this stuff with with Justin Fields. I understand like the racial undertones and everything that was attached. NCAA to that. wasn't going to fight that, and I, right. I, I, from the from the jump, it seemed very obvious. The Tathan Martell stuff, where dude just wasn't going to play with a new coaching staff, even though it was the same offensive After coordinator who Fields. was there. Yeah, so I mean, best that, that one was way this. more egregious. But but the Luke Ford thing, when you have and, and I looked this up again the other day just to make sure I wasn't wrong about how just absolutely egregious and asinine this whole thing was. But Luke Ford, who wanted to transfer back to Illinois um, to be around his grandfather, who was sick and not doing well, and be around his family, and they couldn't afford to go to all of his games, like away games in Athens. He asked for a he, he got denied twice in within a month span yeah. of of trying to be eligible, and the reasoning why was the NCAA actually said. His grandpa wasn't part of his nuclear family. Yeah. This is the problem with the NCAA. And what I keep coming back to is the NCAA continues to be as, as what's what's the right way to say this? The NCAA's lack of transparency is costing kids years of their athletic prime. Yeah. And that's yeah. what bothers me more than than anything else. And instead of just looking at this from a practical standpoint of letting common sense win out. All the NCAA had to do was look at the pandemic date. When all of this mm-hmm. stuff started, they could have made things easy on themselves. They were trending in the direction to be able to have the one-time transfer exemption for undergraduates. All they had to do was say, look, if you entered the transfer portal before March 13th, when the NCAA tournament was canceled, 
you get immediate eligibility. But if you yeah. transfer it, if you enter the portal after, sorry, we can't give you immediate eligibility. That's it. That's all they had to do. But instead, they try and make life way more difficult on themselves yep. than it needs to be. The NCAA admitted in its own release discussing the possibility of this one-time transfer exemption. The current system is unsustainable. By the way, that's the system that you built. They right. also said, and the waiver process, the waiver process that you built, was strained. Uh... You think? We, we said that like like over a year ago when it first came out. Like like how are they going to be able to regulate this? <laughs> and instead, they just choose to continue to dig their own hole even deeper and even deeper. And the frustrating thing is that it's going to cost it's going to cost a, several key players yeah. a, a year of eligibility. And I feel terrible for those kids because it, it yeah. sucks, and they shouldn't have to just be strung along like this. Where they're just left in the dark, and certain kids find out really soon, and and it shouldn't matter necessarily if there is a redshirt thing. I don't think that right. should necessarily be making the NCAA's decision in terms of the timing of all of it. It just doesn't make sense. It's maddening. It's stupid. Yeah. It's more signs that the NCAA really doesn't no know what it's what doing, doing, and everything that's on the NCAA's table is just too big for it. Yeah, well, and I think, again, this is a volunteer organization, I've said it a thousand times, that for the longest time, it, it's it's almost like a, a pyramid scheme that somebody finally found out was like, hey, we, we just looked at all these, like, all the numbers. You guys have been lying about this the whole time? It's like, no, 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 it's good. We're so good. Get out there and go door-to-door. Knock on some doors and, and sell this, uh, what do you call it? Um, I don't know, Mary Kay or whatever it is. Like, it, But that's that's kind of what it is. Like they they We have figured out we don't need them. And, and they are just clinging to every single possible, like, inch of 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 leadership i want leadership's the wrong word but power they have left to, to try to say sad. It's just not yeah. very sad all right so i know that was a little bit more serious for casual friday we're gonna close with the interview with matt hayes he's gonna kind of shed some light on all of these moving parts going on in college football right now and hopefully point us in the right direction so let's go to our interview with matt hayes we're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is Bleacher Report. Uh, Matt, I mean, Matt Hayes, you, you work for a variety of companies at this point. You got 1010XL um, in, in Jacksonville. I know that you've done a lot of work for SDS in the past. Um, we, we have a lot of college football stuff to get to today. And it, as much as I'd really love to get your take on why the Winter Park Four Rivers is better than the rest of the Four Rivers locations in Orlando, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll save that discussion for, for another time. Um, so you, you tweeted the other day about the hurdles facing the SEC with a potential spring season. Explain why the SEC has such a greater sense of hesitancy with that. Well, I, I think it's the SEC, but I also think it's everyone, Connor. It's, it's all the presidents, the Power Five presidents. There's, I, I think the, the collateral damage of playing in the spring is just so great. And, and it, it goes, of course, the foundation is asking asking unpaid players to play two seasons in 10 months. It's just, that's, that's a lot to ask. That's number one. Um, but I think there's so much more to that, the way it impacts the draft, the way it impacts uh, the recruiting cycle, the way it impacts recruiting calendar, the way it impacts uh, your 85 scholarship limit. And frankly, I think the biggest fear among a lot of presidents and athletic directors right now is if they try and push two seasons in 10 months on the players, that you're going to get one or two or a handful of, you know, energetic, enterprising attorneys and sports agents, and they're going to get them together, and they're going to either get all those players organized or get a very large group of players organized, and then you have a paradigm shift, not only in college football, but in college sports. And that's the last thing they want. So if you're asking them, you know, what's the greater evil? Right now they're standing at the cliff, and this is what 180 told me. We're standing at the cliff. There is no good answer. You're basically choosing the best bad answer and making it as good as you possibly can. So if you're asking them to say, okay, what would you rather do? Skip football completely or play in the fall of 2021 or try something in spring and then open up Pandora's box. And, and I think it's certainly the former and not the latter. And, and I've been told by numerous ADs that more and more presidents are thinking the same way. They're scared to death of playing in the second semester. And because it's been kind of their, their thing, they're, you know, their amateur model, they've held fast and no football in the second semester. And that's what we heard a decade ago. Remember when we first initially started talking about the playoff, it was, we don't, we don't want second semester football. And, you know, when you start encroaching on their idea of amateurism, you know, however you think it's a bunch of bull or not, 
you know, they've held out on that forever. You know, now all of a sudden they're going to say, okay, well, because of COVID, you know, and because of these unique circumstances, we're going to play second semester football. I, I just don't see it happen. Um, and I will tell you this, I think they're going to do everything in their power to play in the fall. Everything in their power. They're going to move mountains to play in the fall. Based on that, it sounds like the answer to this question is going to be really, really low. If you were to put a number on the percentage that we have a spring season, based on those conversations that you had and based on the analogy that you made, and a lot of really good points in there that I think a lot of people might be overlooking at this point, where would that number be at right now? Single-digit percent, maybe. That's what I would wow. say. I mean, it's, it's, I mean it's, it's different for, you know, like the Patriot League or the Ivy League. They, they, don't, have, they don't have to lose what the Power Five have to lose. And if the but when what those leagues don't understand, and for some reason I don't know why, and by the way, the Ivy League hasn't said they're playing in the spring. So, so I, I think what people don't understand is if, if the Power Five loses, if something happens and those players unionize, that affects everyone down the line. That's trickle down. So that's going to affect the Group of Five. That's going to affect FDS. It's going to affect Division Two, II, Division Three. It's going to affect the entire way how college athletics is run and runs now. It will change everything. And again, if you're someone who wants chaos, well, that's perfect for you. But but a majority, <laughs> a big majority, a big majority of those presidents are not people who want chaos. So you kind of alluded to this uh, earlier when you were initially talking about you know some of the drawbacks of playing in, in the spring. Um, in my opinion, one of the, the biggest potential drawbacks of, of spring season would be potential high-profile players and early-round draft picks that would most likely sit out. Um, is that something you would expect to see as well if we had a spring season? Oh, yeah. I, I think you're, you would see seniors, juniors, and draft-eligible sophomores. If, if they're in the first one, two rounds, yeah, they're sitting. There's no reason to risk, to risk your career to play eight games or six games. And that's just one of the, one of the very few things. I love how people call it, by the way, spring football. It's not spring football. You're going to be playing in February at Camp Randall. It's going to be negative sure. 10, wind chill of like negative 30. It's not spring football, all right? So you're going to ask these guys to play in negative 10 degrees in front of no fans as a scrimmage because you want to try and make TV money. No way. It's just, it's just there, are so many, there are so many wrongs when you start talking about, about spring football. And, and I know people say, well, you got to save the, do whatever you can to save the program. If you're going to do whatever you can to save the program, you're going to do whatever you can in the fall of 2020 to save the program, not in the spring where doing everything you can to save it is going to lead to many more problems. Man, I, I've gone back and forth on this. A lot of people are, are pointing out that the, the conference commissioners and the NCAA have had four months to get on the same page with universal testing. And I think some of that frustration is justified. But at the same time, I also do sort of understand why it hadn't happened until just now and you know, within the last couple hours here with a virus that continues to attack in very unique ways and these athletic directors and administrators who have been just trying to react to all of this. And obviously not every university has the same sort of financial situation and especially not during a pandemic where funds are obviously not the same as, as they are usually. Where do you stand on the issue of conference commissioners not having this universal testing protocols for so long? Well, I mean, you've got, you've got five different guys running the Power Five, and, and I think the big misnomer is everyone thinks that, you know, the NCAA has control of the Power Five. The NCAA has zero control of the Power Five. The only, the only connection between the NCAA and the Power Five is the NCAA is their rules arbitrator, and that's only because the Power Five allows them to do it. It's only because it would cost the Power Five a lot more money to subcontract it out. So they allow the NCAA to say, okay, you're cheating with recruiting, or you've done this, or your coach has done that. That's the only connection. There's no other connection with Power Five as far as football is concerned. Football is its own entity. So I think it's the same. When you talk about stuff like that, Connor, it's the same thing as people always say, well, why is there no czar of college football? Well, I'll tell you why there's no czar. Because you've got five guys, five conference commissioners, who report to presidents of their, of their conferences, and those presidents all think differently. So they're all not going to go under the same umbrella because that means the SEC can't all of a sudden uh, it, it can't negotiate a deal on its own. 
The Big Ten can't negotiate a television deal on its own. All five of them. They all want to negotiate their own deal. They're not going to sit there and say, yeah, for the good of the sport, we're all going to be together. We're going to share everything. No way. That's not how it's going to work. That's, that's, that's how they choose to do it within their league. They, I mean, why would the SEC, for instance, or the Big Ten agree to something like that? That, that we're all under the same umbrella and we're all going to share everything. Why would they do that? They make more money than everyone else. So the idea of this college football czar is just like, it, it's someone who literally doesn't understand what's going on when they say something like that. Because it's not, it, it will, not only will it never happen, it's absolutely ludicrous to think it would happen. I mean, so I guess my next question is going to be, would you vote for me as czar? But I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ask that now. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't vote for anyone. Like if I was, I'm telling you right now, if I was a commissioner, if I was a commissioner of the SEC or the Big Ten, and someone said, someone asked me a question, what do you think about college football czar? I'd laugh, and then they'd say, well, what, what do you mean? And I'd say, I'd spurn out the comment because it's such a ridiculous question, I won't even answer. And, and it is. If, you, if you're the SEC of one of those two schools, or even any of the Power Five conferences, why would you do that? There's no, there's absolutely zero benefit in having a college football czar. Zero. Okay, so like staying on the same subject here, piggybacking off that, if you, I, I was assuming that you would have to be in some sort of communication or, or you know, work um, with other conferences if you're going to figure out this season and have anything close. Because, because if we get a season and then we end up getting to the end of the season and the playoff is an even bigger mess than usual because, you know, every, some conferences played eight games, some played ten, how, or, how are conferences going to work together, or are they, even going to work together in terms of scheduling, so there's a, some sort of fair and competitive balance uh, throughout each each Power Five conference. Well, it's funny you should say that, Chris, because they were kind of working together behind the scenes until one of the conferences decided to jump out and say, "Ah, we're only playing we're only playing conference games," and then that changed mm -hmm. everything. And then that left everybody to scram on it. And then another conference joined them because whatever the Big Ten does, the Pac-12 does because. The Pac-12 literally has no has no clue about what they want to do, what they'd like to do, any kind of vision. It's just whatever the Big Ten does, will do. So now you've got the other three. You've got the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12. And, and it's I think it's going to come down to the numbers and how they feel about the COVID numbers because, you know, this is what has to be said. I mean, the virus is controlling everything right now. So I, I think if we get to the end of July, I think by like July 27, and you start seeing numbers uh, coming down, they're going to announce we're going to pause. We're going to pause for two or three weeks. I think even the numbers are the same. They're going to say we're going to pause. We're going to pause for two or three weeks. We're going to try and get a better idea of where we're headed with this thing. And then we're going to start. And my, my guess is they're probably going to start, the first game will be around the third week of September, maybe even the last week of September. Um, and then they'll play conference-only games and maybe one non-conference game. I, I know that the four SEC East ADs uh, that have games against ACC teams, and, and that would be – uh, Florida, South Carolina, Kentucky, and Georgia, they desperately want that game against their rivals. That's a big, big deal for them. I mean, you're also talking about four of the strongest and, and, and most powerful ADs in the SEC, right? You're talking about Mitch Barnhart and Greg McGarity and Scott Strickland and, and Ray Tanner. So you're talking about four very influential guys that are saying, this is, you know, we would really like this. Our presidents want this. We want this. You know, and then you're, now you're dealing with 10 other guys. So then you say, how do we get them another non-conference game? You're not going to play a group of five teams because they don't have the same testing protocols that you do. So you're not going to do right. that. It's got to be another power five school. Then you start looking around, and if, you, if the idea is everybody's playing nine games, then you're looking at, okay, there's only so much inventory out there because the ACC has said they're going to help Notre Dame. So the, 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 perfect, the perfect situation, guys, would be if – Notre Dame and Navy play. So if Notre Dame and Navy play, they already have six games against the ACC and Notre Dame. If Notre Dame and Navy play, that's seven. So then the ACC will only have to give them two more. So if you count the four from the SEC East teams and two of those, that's six. So that leaves you with eight teams. Eight. Eight more games that are left. Eight teams in the ACC. I'm doing my math right, right? Eight more teams. You think so. That leaves you. Right, right. That still need a nice, uh, a nice game. Eight conference games, one, one, uh, one non-con. So you have 10 in the SEC. So you have one. Now, Arkansas plays Notre Dame, so they're out. So that's nine now. So you need – so you're going to get those eight. You're going to need one game. you got to find one power five game. Now, is, would BYU be, be a game for you? I don't know. I don't know. No idea what BYU's t uh, testing protocol is. No idea. So it, it, the idea also is, is, is 
is their inventory. Now, if you go to 10 games, then you can say, okay, we'll just go one for one with the Big 12. We'll go 10 games. So I, I think it can be done, but I don't know. Here's the problem with this, too. When you start talking about 10 games, then you start talking about, look, we're, we're leaving ourselves very little wiggle room throughout the season. And I think right. the presidents want wiggle room. They want to be able to say, look, if something happens, we have to move games, or if we have to pause again for a week or two weeks, we have to be able to get this thing in before the second semester comes. So I, I think they want wiggle room, which would mean, you know, eight games plus one, which would give you nine. That's really pushing it, I think. Um, this whole idea that, that, you know, one AD told me, I asked him, why did the Big Ten come out first? And he said, why do you think they did? And, and the idea is that they play nine, the Pac-12 plays nine conference games, the Big 12 nine plays nine conference games. What they were trying to do was force the SEC into a nine-game schedule, which we also forced the ACC into a nine-game schedule. And, and I'm telling you right now, I had another AD from the SEC said, it's so funny, he goes, look, I know my president, we play eight out of spite. Out of spite, we would play eight. Just to say, no, you're not telling us what to do. <laughs> what we do, what we do is successful. We, it's been successful forever. We're not changing for anybody. There are so many different moving pieces with that. And even as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about the bowl games, and I'm thinking about yeah. the Duke's Mayo Bowl, and my gosh, what if we don't have the Duke's Mayo Bowl? And all these other yeah, things. Yeah, bowl games that, are, I'll tell you right now, boys, bowl games are, unless, unless you know, I tweet out from today, there's an uh, epidemiologist, epi- epi- I'm saying this wrong, um, sure. from the University of Maryland, um, infectious disease guy. And he tweeted out today that there's hope there could be a vaccine in October with 3 billion doses. Now, again, we have to understand this. They're not running to give it to the college football players, right? They'll probably more than likely be last on the list. But, but, but if, if that's out there and it's in October, you've got to assume that there are other vaccines that are also close. Um, and you, you, you may have to assume they might be able to get you know, one or 200 of them, because I know everybody all over the world is going to need this vaccine, but, you know, maybe we'll throw a couple hundred to college football and see what happens. But, I mean, but seriously, I mean, I don't know what happens. I know this. I, I know the presidents want flexibility in the season if they have a season in the fall, because they want to be able to say, look, if we need to pause, we can pause. And the best part about not having fans at the, at the games, and I know that the, the, the dream scenario was getting 25% of fans, Look, the best part of not having fans is you can change a schedule whenever you want. It doesn't matter. Oh, you were going to play Kentucky this week? No, you're going to play uh, two weeks from now. It doesn't matter at that point. So I, I think that's, that's probably the best part about having that flexibility to do that. So explain something to me because I've been trying to wrap my head around this and I just do not understand it. I, I hated when athletic directors two months ago were coming out and saying that they expected to have 50,000 fans at games. Like, that, that was never going to happen where they would have some governor come out and be like, yeah, keep all gatherings to under 55,000 people. Nothing has gone like this throughout this entire time that the virus has existed. And fans said, well, why wouldn't they say that? Because they're trying to sell tickets. But tickets weren't even on sale yet, so I don't necessarily understand the upside when you're going to have to wait on this decision anyways, and that interest was always going to be there. How do you think athletic directors have done approaching this, the whole like fans in the stadium issue, when in reality, there are bigger things that are, that are going to control that? Well, if, if, if you look at it, Connor, you know, you're talking about the, it's not only like the SEC, like Gene Smith or Ohio State said it, they also said it with considering where we are now, and if we continue to mitigate as we are mitigating and the future looks better than where it is now, which three months ago, the future looked pretty good. Then you can start talking about fans in the stands. I don't know about 55,000, but I think they were very clear to, to, to point out, look, considering where we are now, we have to figure out how will it look in the future. And if it does, we'd like to have X amount of, uh, an X amount of fans. I don't think, in fact, I don't remember any AD or any coach saying, we're going to get 50,000 in the stands no matter what. I, I don't remember that. I think it was, I think it was usually, usually with a caveat of, hey, hey, let's see where, you know, where we are moving forward. It looks good now. So, I mean, I, I can understand that, I guess, in a sense of, hey, let's be positive. Um, I can also see the negatives of why even say that. Let's just get through this thing and see what happens. You know, you're giving false right. hope, all that stuff. But, but, but the reality is they never came out and said, we – we are playing in front of fans. It was always, hey, you know, with a cabinet. Let's see where we're headed right now with the numbers. 
Fair, so fair. let's say let's say they do have fans in the stands. Um, I know some schools have already begun to implement some sort of protocols on game day uh, to help out with some of the things that are going on. What are some different re like restrictions or guidelines fans may have to abide by if they are allowed at games this season? Well, I don't I don't think they're going to sit in the first in the, in the first level. I don't have any question about that. It'll be you know second second deck. Uh, just be, you know, you're going to be six feet apart. Um, they might even put everybody six feet apart, even if even if you're, you know, if you're family and because the reality is you don't know. Some of you might say this is my family. You have no idea if they are. So, I mean, I, I think you got to be overly cautious again. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know why you would have fans there at all, period. But that's, you know, you're going to do it. Be as, as overly cautious as possible. And then just keep them away from the field, as close to away from the field as you possibly can be. Because the, the goal is to not infect the players and the staff. The goal, I mean, you hate to say this, man, but the goal is not to keep them from infecting themselves because if they infect themselves, then they infect themselves. It's their choice. Right. It's, it's, infecting, it's infecting the product on the field so they can continue to play. That's, now, that's fair. Now, now Chris, Chris and Connor, no way he's ever going to say that, but that's the goal. <laughs> that's just true. That's, but there, there's something to keep in mind with that, too. And I, I also, like, I didn't like the 50,000 number that was thrown out just because I, I thought, okay, what's what's even the point of that? That's not social distancing. If you're going to have 50,000 people in one stadium, then you're just losing out on revenue and you're just doing it from to, to look good from a PR standpoint because you can't socially distance with 50,000 people in a stadium, even if you're at a place as big as the Horseshoe or, or something like that. So... From that standpoint, that seemed a little bit weird that they would decide to do that. But um, I think I, I think, think was, I, I, I'm sorry. I, I would just say I, I I'm not disagreeing with you, but I would also say let's not forget that three months ago, you know, Fauci was saying, Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, the 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 expert, the government's expert on infectious diseases, was saying, yeah, I can see sports playing. And then eventually it became, I don't know about that. And then it was, oh, I don't know yeah. if we can have football. So the bar is constantly moving. We. I mean, again, the virus is in control right now. And not only not only the virus, but how we as society mitigate the virus—that's what's in control. Mm -hmm. One of the one of the byproducts of this whole deal has been. It feels like, and you've you've hinted at this a little bit. It feels like we're reaching a point when the Power Five is going to break away from the NCAA and become its own governing body. And you mentioned the the hurdle that they would face in terms of having all the, the guidelines that the NCAA has already put in place and they'd have to come up with, you know, their own set of rules and, and that would be, you know, a difficult situation in itself. But do you think that situation is something that we'll be talking about five years down the road is a very realistic thing that's staring at the NCAA? Well, they're already there other than, other than policing. They're already there as far as football. They, they have their own rules. Um, they do, they do basically what they want to do. They run their own championship. Um, you know, I, I would say they decide how much money they want to share with the group of five um, when it comes to, you know, the college football playoffs. So so they're already there. Other than policing what they do, you know, recruiting, they're already there. So, I mean, do, do I see it happening in five years? Maybe. Maybe. And, and if it does, I think a lot of people are concerned about that. But if it does, all it's going to be is just like football schools, they're going to play football. They're not going to break away from the SEC or the Big Ten or the Pac-12. It'll just be for that specific sport, football. That's it. That's it. So, it, I mean, they're, they're, they're basically there right now. So, I don't, I don't know if, you know, how much more would you want to see? Would you want them to say, okay, we're going to forget it. We don't need the NCAA to police us anymore. We're, we're going to subcontract out, you know, our own investigators to, to worry about infractions and stuff. And we're going to be completely, completely alone on this. I, I mean, why would you do that? There's really no reason to do that. Plus, if you, if you if you do it how it is, if you do it how it is now, you still have the illusion of we're with the NCAA. That's fair. Um, all right. Well, I learned a lot. Uh, mainly, I got to I got to return a lot of stickers and yard signs about my czar uh, campaign for uh, college football, <laughs> but um, it was good to have you on here. So we're going to get you out of here with, with a game we like to play um, called Two Minute Drill, and it's just rapid fire questions. You just answer as fast as you can. You know, I, I will say that that your your coworker, uh, Adam Kramer, he has played it before, so we can, we're going to have a little side-by-side. -side. This, is, this is some good competition we're going to have. Are you ready? Well, the problem is Adam's funnier than I am, so that's, that's going to be an issue. No. <laughs> 
<laughs> he, you know, honestly, I, like I don't know much about Adam. I, I would say he's he's really funny, but also he has the best yard maintenance out of anybody I've ever seen on Twitter. Mm. I'll, I'll throw that out there. He loves to cut his yard. I'll tell you what, man, loves it. <laughs> he, he can cut All right, well, you have a chance to beat him here anytime you want. <laughs> All right, so here we are. We're gonna put two minutes on the clock. We got ten questions. Are you ready? I'm, I got my dog in my lap right now. I'm ready, man. Let's do it. Perfect. All right. First question. Favorite character from The Office? Oh, man. Um, I mean, how does it? How is it not Michael? <laughs> I mean, anybody that wants you, like, makes you turn your head when he's saying something, it's got to be him. <laughs> Michael, of course. That's good. I like that. Mm -hmm. I like that. That's points. Uh, best SEC player that nobody is talking about right now? As far as for this coming season, me. Yes. Uh, Trayvon Grimes. I think Trayvon Grimes can have a huge season. Six foot three and a half, like 225 pounds, a big dude, can run, can run, run, run. He's going to finally be a number one receiver. And Trask, I think Trask, Trask is going to be a guy I think everybody's overlooking this kid. I'm telling you right now, he will be a first-round pick. If we play this season out and everything, Ooh. even if it's just eight game, eight game or nine game, he will be a first-round pick at the end of the season. Whew. Okay. Um, that, I mean, that might answer the next question. Who's the best quarterback in the SEC right now? Right now? I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't know how you don't answer that. I don't know how you don't. He, he okay. clearly is the best. Like that. Um, what's the best SEC team that nobody is talking about right now? What's talking about? Uh, no one's talking about? Uh, Maybe I, that you know people what? aren't talking about I think, it. I, 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 think, I, think Ole Miss is gonna, I think Ole Miss is going to scare some people. Only because mm. of that. I, I really like John Rice. I really think he's he's such a dangerous player. Okay, and, and I think Kiffin will put him in position to do some unique things if he grows as a thrower and he becomes more of a threat as a thrower. And that offense will be really, really good. They'll, they'll score some points. Okay, I like that. Um, all right, who will be back, quote unquote, first, Texas or Tennessee? <laughs> I mean. I don't understand the whole Tennessee thing anyway. I mean, you have a winning streak against bad teams. Look, Tennessee beat Indiana in the Gator Bowl. If you're hanging your hat on beating Indiana because Indiana blew a huge lead and couldn't kick a field goal, if that's what you're hanging your hat on? Come on, man. I mean, I, I don't. Right. Tennessee's got to beat someone of relevance, okay? That's number one. Number two, they've got to get a quarterback that, that can win big in the second half of games when it's third and nine in the fourth quarter and you need to play. They got to get somebody like that against, against good teams. All right. Uh, Connor O'Gara, noted Indiana alum, probably does not like that answer. But, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea, Connor. I apologize for my friend. No, 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 no. I called that from a mile away. I said, you know what? Tennessee's coming back. Yeah. Is going to come back and win this game. That's the Indiana way. Until Indiana breaks away from that, that is always going to be the inevitable final chapter of the Guys, story. And that's what rapid fire. Sense. All right, my bad. Unbelievable, Connor. Unbelievable. Rapid fire questions. All right, next one. Uh, next one question here. We have what is favorite? What is your favorite thing to grill uh, in the summer? Favorite thing to grill in the summer. Uh, I like well, I like to smoke. I like to smoke like a pork butt, but I like to grill like the little uh, you know, you know the, the riblets that you get that that are they cut off the ribs. Yeah. I mean, you, you marinate them for like two hours and throw them on the grill for like I don't know ten minutes. That is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Okay. All right, like that. Um, bucket list concert. Concert. Wow, this is interesting. I'm kind of digging this. Bucket list concert. Uh. Uh. Wow. I mean, I've seen a lot, so I don't know about bucket list. I'd like to see. Uh, I'd like to see you two like in Ireland. That'd be kind of cool. Oh, okay, mm. like that. Um. That's, that's a really good answer. Um, okay, we got three more for you. Favorite Disney princess? Zero. I'm going nada. I'm opting out of that. You know why? That's I just a lot, a lot so of bad for Disney. All that Disney stuff is so bad for kids, man. I'm not. I'm opting out. I'm not answering it. You obviously haven't been to Frozen on yeah, Ice. I, I, see, wonderful. I have this whole conspiracy thing about how it's the colors, it's the you know, it's the princesses, and it's always the princess who's you know doesn't have a dad, and the, and the mother's a mean mother. And, no, I'm not out of that, man. Nope, not doing it. Nope. <laughs> all right, all right. We got two more then. Uh, what did you miss most about not having media days this year? 
Uh, what did I miss most? I'm gonna I'm gonna be very politically correct here and say I miss seeing all my friends. <laughs> all right, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, heard Gabriel's. That's fine. We got what you're saying. Uh, last but not least, who wins the SEC this year? Uh, I'm 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 gonna say this: if if we have a typical season, even if it's just even if it's just eight games and a non-conference game. Um, I don't know if that's going to be enough. I don't know if you guys have seen Bryce Young. You watch Bryce Young's tape from modern day. Oh yeah, I mean Marler's seen that. He, he, I have dude, not. He I have not is seen it. Real deal, man. I'm telling you right now, that dude can play. So I, I don't know how quickly he's going to pick things up because I, I think the, the you know the, the eight months of, of of nothingness basically for all these incoming freshmen is going to hurt their his, their transition. But if he picks it up, I'm I'm going with Alabama. If he doesn't. You know, I think they might struggle a little bit of quarterback. So, I mean, if he doesn't, I'll go with Florida. Okay. All right. Let me add this up. Um, oh, yeah. That's a big miss there with the Disney one. Um, we got 69 points, though. That's not bad. That's not okay, bad. That's all. What, did that's all. About, what did Adam say about the Disney game? Wait, wait, wait. How am I getting graded? Let's go back. I want to back up a little bit. How am I getting graded? <laughs> we, so we, we did the same model that the NCAA does with um, a lot of their stuff. A lot of their stuff. We use, we use their kind of guidelines on how they make decisions. So there's not really any sense. No, this sounds like a BCS to me is what it sounds like. You're telling exactly, me you have a formula. Yeah. Where a in reality, you and Connor are looking at each other going, uh-huh, we'll give them that. All right, all right, we'll give them that. <laughs> Either way, 69 points. 69 out nice of what? Point. Out of 100? Wait, 69 out of 100? Out of 70. Out really of 70? Oh, oh I was thinking 69 out of 100. <laughs> so, all right, I'm, I'm, good with, I'm good with your BCS formula. Good. <laughs> Matt, so the, so the, Disney, the opting out of the Disney kept me from getting perfect scores. Are you saying? Pretty, it was like thinking the SAT. Like, I mean, it was, you didn't get any points counted off of it, but you, I mean, you know, it, it, you would have been better to I mean, frankly, it, to be honest. I think I, I think I should have gotten positive points for that answer. You guys should have been going, yeah, you're exactly <laughs> right. <now." laughs> Matt, we're gonna we're gonna have to do this again. Um, hopefully, the next time we're talking, it's in the midst of a college football season, and we'll instead be arguing about the playoff instead of college football czar. Which, by the way, I was totally gonna ask you who your college football czar was going to be. So thank you for allowing me to get out ahead of that and not face the humiliation from you. Uh, well, but I can give I can give you the answer. <laughs> if if there has to be one, and they all agree on it, which they never would. I would say Jeremy Foley. He's my he's my answer for college football. Oh, oh, that'd be good. That's that's very interesting. I don't know. That's not a popular choice too. That gets that gets thrown out there. But I think Jeremy Foley would definitely have the credentials to do something that you apparently think is a joke. So we won't even go down that road. Uh, Matt, thanks again <laughs> for coming on, and uh, we'll chat soon. Be well. Okay, boys. My pleasure.